Chapter Thirty Two of Lilith. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pete Williams. Lilith by George MacDonald. Chapter Thirty Two. The Lovers and the Bags. Bitterly cold grew the night. The body froze under me. The cry of the wolves came nearer. I heard their feet soft padding on the rocky ground. Their quick panting filled the air. Through the darkness I saw the many glowing eyes. Their half-circle contracted around me. My time was come. I sprang to my feet. Alas, I had not even a stick. They came in a rush, their eyes flashing with fury of greed, their black throats agape to devour me. I stood hopelessly waiting them. One moment they halted over the horse, then came at me. With a sound of swiftness all but silence, a cloud of green eyes came down on their flank. The heads that bore them flew at the wolves with a cry feebler yet fiercer than their howling snarl, and by the cry I knew them. They were cats, led by a huge gray one. I could see nothing of him but his eyes, yet I knew him. And so knew his color and bigness. A terrific battle followed, whose tale alone came to me through the night. I would have fled, for surely it was but a fight which should have me. Only where was the use? My first step would be to fall, and my foes of either kind could both see and scent me in the dark. All at once I missed the howling, and the caterwauling grew wilder. Then came the soft padding, and I knew it meant flight. The cats had defeated the wolves. In a moment, the sharpest of sharp teeth were in my legs. A moment more, and the cats were all over me in a live cataract, biting wherever they could bite, furiously scratching me anywhere and everywhere. A multitude clung to my body; I could not flee. Madly, I fell on the hateful swarm, every finger instinct with destruction. I tore them off me; I throttled at them in vain. When I would have flung them from me, they clung to my hands like limpets. I trampled them under my feet, thrust my fingers in their eyes, caught them in jaws stronger than theirs, but could not rid myself of one. Without cease, they kept discovering upon me space for fresh mouthfuls. They hauled at my skin with the widespread, horribly curved pincers of clutching claws. They hissed and spat in my face, but never touched it until, in my despair. I threw myself on the ground. When they forsook my body and darted at my face, I rose and immediately they left it, the more to occupy themselves with my legs. In an agony, I broke from them and ran, careless whither, cleaving the solid dark. They accompanied me in a surrounding torrent, now rubbing, now leaping up against me, but tormenting me no more. When I fell, which was often, they gave me time to rise. When, from fear of falling, I slackened my pace, they flew afresh at my legs. All that miserable night, they kept me running, but they drove me by a comparatively smooth path, for I tumbled into no gully and, passing the evil wood without seeing it, left it behind in the dark. When at length the morning appeared, I was beyond the channels and on the verge of the orchard valley. In my joy, I would have made friends with my persecutors, but not a cat was to be seen. I threw myself on the moss 
and fell fast asleep. I was waked by a kick to find myself bound hand and foot, once more the thrall of the giants. What fitter, I said to myself, to whom else should I belong? And I laughed in the triumph of self-disgust. A second kick stopped my false merriment, and thus recurrently assisted by my captors, I succeeded at length in rising to my feet. Six of them were about me. They undid the rope that tied my legs together, attached a rope to each of them, and dragged me away. I walked as well as I could, but, as they frequently pulled both ropes at once, I fell repeatedly, whereupon they always kicked me up again. Straight to my old labor they took me, tied my leg ropes to a tree, undid my arms, and put the hateful flint in my left hand. Then they lay down and pelted me with fallen fruit and stones, but seldom hit me. If I could have freed my legs and got hold of a stick I spied a couple of yards from me, I would have fallen upon all six of them. But the little ones will come at night, I said to myself, and was comforted. All day I worked hard. When the darkness came, they tied my hands and left me fast to the tree. I slept a good deal, but woke often, and every time from a dream of lying in the heart of a heap of children. With the morning my enemies reappeared, bringing their kicks and their bestial company. It was about noon and I was nearly failing from fatigue and hunger when I heard a sudden commotion in the brushwood, followed by a burst of the bell-like laughter so dear to my heart. I gave a loud cry of delight and welcome. Immediately rose a trumpeting as of baby elephants, a neighing as of foals, and a bellowing as of calves, and through the bushes came a crowd of little ones, on diminutive horses, on small elephants, on little bears, but the noises came from the riders, not the animals. Mingled with the mounted ones walked the bigger of the boys and girls, among the latter a woman with a baby crowing in her arms. The giants sprang to their lumbering feet, but were instantly saluted with a storm of sharp stones. The horses charged their legs, the bears rose and hugged them at the waist, the elephants threw their trunks round their necks, pulled them down, and gave them such a trampling as they had sometimes given, but never received before. In a moment my ropes were undone, and I was in the arms, seemingly innumerable, of the little ones. For some time I saw no more of the giants. They made me sit down, and my lona came, and without a word began to feed me with the loveliest red and yellow fruits. I sat and ate, the whole company mounting guard until I had done. Then they brought up two of the largest of their elephants, and having placed them side by side, hooked their trunks and tied their tails together. The docile creatures could have untied their tails with a single shake, and unhooked their trunks by forgetting them, but tails and trunks remained as their little masters had arranged them, and it was clear the elephants understood that they must keep their bodies parallel. I got up, and laid myself in the hollow between their two backs. When the wise animals, counteracting the weight that pushed them apart, leaned against each other, and made for me a most comfortable litter. My feet, it is true, projected beyond their tails, but my head lay pillowed on an ear of each. Then some of the smaller children, mounting for a bodyguard, ranged themselves in a row along the back of each of my bearers. The whole assembly formed itself in train, and the procession began to move. Whither they were carrying me I did not try to conjecture. 
I yielded myself to their pleasure, almost as happy as they, chattering and laughing and playing glad tricks innumerable at first. The moment they saw I was going to sleep, they became still as judges. I woke. A sudden musical uproar greeted the opening of my eyes. We were traveling through the forest in which they found the babies, and which, as I had suspected, stretched all the way from the valley to the hot stream. A tiny girl sat with her little feet close to my face, and looked down at me coaxingly for a while, then spoke, the rest seeming to hang on her words. "'We make a petition to King,' she said. "'What is it, my darling?' I asked. "'Sut eyes one minute,' she answered. "'Certainly I will. Here goes,' I replied, and shut my eyes close. "'No, no, not for I tell you,' she cried. I opened them again, and we talked and laughed together for quite another hour. "'Close eyes,' she said suddenly. I closed my eyes and kept them close. The elephants stood still. I heard a soft scurry, a little rustle, and then a silence. For in that world some silences are heard. "'Open eyes!' twenty voices a little way off shouted at once. But when I obeyed, not a creature was visible except the elephants that bore me. I knew the children marvelously quick in getting out of the way. The giants had taught them that. But when I raised myself and looked about in the open shrubless forest, could descry neither hand nor heel, I stared in black astonishment. The sun was set, and it was fast getting dark, yet presently a multitude of birds began to sing. I lay down to listen, pretty sure that, if I left them alone, the hiders would soon come out again. The singing grew to a little storm of bird voices. Surely the children must have something to do with it, and yet how could they set the birds singing, I said to myself as I lay and listened. Soon, however, happening to look up into the tree under which my elephants stood, I thought I spied a little motion among the leaves and looked more keenly. Suddenly white spots appeared in the dark foliage, the music died down, a gale of childish laughter rippled the air, and white spots came out in every direction. The trees were full of children. In the wildest merriment they began to descend, some dropping from bough to bough so rapidly that I could scarce believe they had not fallen. I left my litter, and was instantly surrounded, a mark for all the artillery of their jubilant fun. With stately composure the elephants walked away to bed. But, said I, when their uproarious gladness had had scope for a while, how is it that I never before heard you sing like the birds? Even when I thought it must be you, I could hardly believe it. Ah, said one of the wildest, but we were not birds then. We were run creatures, not fly creatures. We had our hide places in the bushes then, but when we came to no bushes, only trees, we had to build nests. When we built nests, we grew birds, and when we were birds, we had to do birds. We asked them to teach us their noises, and they taught us, and now we are real birds. Come and see my nest. It's not big enough for King, but it's big enough for King to see me in it. I told him I could not get up a tree without the sun to show me the way. When he came, I would try. Kings seldom have wings, I added. King, King, cried one. Who knows none of us hasn't no wings. Full of feathery tings. Arms and legs is better. That is true, I can get up without wings, and carry straws in my mouth, too, to build my nest with. 
Who knows, he answered, and went away sucking his thumb. A moment after I heard him calling out of his nest, a great way up a walnut tree of enormous size. Up a den, king. Good night, I seepy. And I heard no more of him till he woke me in the morning. End of chapter 32 Recording by Pete Williams, Pittsburgh, PA